We now take our Bibles and turn to the revelation which Jesus Christ showed his servant John, chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14, and here I'd like to read with you the verses 6 to 13. Revelation 14 at verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, the second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, and she who has made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual morality. And another angel, a third, followed them, sighing with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger. He'll be tormented with fire and salt from the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. The smoke of the torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here's a call for the endurance of the saints, and those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the spirits, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. I may this morning, brothers and sisters, proclaim to you the word of our God as we could read it from Revelation 14. The window I would like to use to open up the passage we read is verse 12. Verse 12, for there we read, here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. We hear that. Here is a call for the endurance, and we say, oh, that's, that sounds like work. Here's something we need to do. And that's hard, especially in a post-Christian context that we live in today. And our experience is it's so easy to get tired, despondent, discouraged, stamina to endure. I don't know. So I want to draw to your attention, brothers and sisters, that the word call, here is a call for the endurance. The word call is not there in the Greek. The Greek simply says, here is the endurance of the saints. 
And the word here, here is the endurance, here, refers to the material of the verses 6 through 11, the work of those three angels. Their actions, their words, says the Holy Spirit, is the endurance of the saints. Hmm. And that comes across as awkward. Which is why translators add the word call. Now the sentence seems to flow simply, uh, more smoothly. No. The Lord would have us know that we're dealing here with a promise, with a reassurance, an encouragement in the work of the angels. There you have what it takes to endure. And of course, we're to work with it. That's the calling. That's a fact. It's a statement of promise. And so I summarized the sermon this morning with this theme, the activities of God's angels in today's world encourage the saints. In developing the theme, I ask your attention for three points. The first is, what do these angels see? The second, how do these angels respond? And then third, why are we told? So the first question, what do these angels see? Well, John saw three angels. What are angels all about? So we just sang from Psalm 103, where the psalmist says they are servants of God, ministering spirits, which is also what Hebrews writes, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve those who are to inherit salvation? Servants, sent. These three angels do not do their work on their own initiative, but somebody told them to do what to do. And we understand who that is. That's our ascended Christ. He sent these angels, and I make a point of saying this because our focus needs not to be on the angels, the sent, but on the sender, Christ Jesus. I'd also like you to notice, brothers and sisters, that these three angels are connected. We read in verse 6 of an angel flying, but then in 8, a second angel followed, and in 9, a third angel in turn followed. So whatever the first does, the second does too. And wherever the second goes, the third goes also. We're given detail about the first. So let's take a look at verse 6 and understand 
that what he's doing, number two and number three are also doing. John saw another angel, and that's in contrast to angels mentioned earlier in the book of Revelation. We can pass by what that might mean. But the one he's seeing is flying, we read, directly overhead. Now, that phrase, directly overhead, awakens in our mind what? Well, John is on the island of Patmos, yes? So, directly overhead would be over the, I don't know, five square kilometers up there you can see. And so, the picture that's awakened in our mind is that this angel is traveling vertically and coming from heaven to earth kind of down over Patmos. And that would make sense in as much as this angel is sent from heaven. So I need to tell you that, in fact, the translation directly overhead is misleading. Other translations provide is flying in mid-heaven. And then the picture is that this angel is flying horizontally up there. And John and Patmos sees him coming across. Where is he going? Later in the verse, he's got an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. Again, the way the Greeks put together, we're meant to understand that what this angel's doing as he flies to every nation, language, people, is not a once-off activity, say, when John received this gospel, this revelation, so many years ago, but it's an ongoing activity ongoing into today's time as well, the past, the present, the future. So, we're to picture in the eye of our mind this particular angel traveling in John's day to Rome, to Athens, to Cairo, Jerusalem. At the, in John's day, to the various civilizations of the world of those days, Africa, China, the Aztecs, the Incas, and then were the centuries that followed, this particular angel is traveling to Lagos, Beijing, Sydney, Toronto, to the villages of the Congo, to the towns of Canada, to the city of Hamilton. That's what it says. To every nation and tribe and language and people. The second angel 
follows. So, flying to the same places. And so to the third. So now the question that's got to be in our minds, as these angels, one after the other, fly to the civilizations of Africa, Asia, South America, today, flies over China, flies over Russia, flies over North America, what do they see? And here, brothers and sisters, we need to remember the context of Revelation 14. So if you take your Bible and turn with me to chapter 12 and 13, we'll pick up the context into which Christ Jesus has sent these angels. Chapter 12 began with that great sign in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, moon under her feet, and so on, giving birth to a child, and in the labor room is the dragon ready to devour the child as soon as a child is born. And we understand there's a reference to, well, the Old Testament church, uh-huh, as it climaxes in Jesus Christ, Christmas, and how the dragon, the devil, will have to devour Christ Jesus upon birth. But the passage says, verse 5, she gave birth to a male child, but her child was caught up to God and to His throne. Yes, Christ Jesus is born Christmas, did His work, survived, did His work, went to the cross, died, buried, arose, ascended into heaven. Right? There to become King of kings and Lord of lords. Glorious gospel. And what's the reaction in heaven? Verse 7, war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon's defeated, and the dragon is booted from heaven, and so the dragon comes down to this earth. Verse 9, he was thrown down to the earth, his angels thrown down with him. And what's the reaction of the dragon? Well, verse 13, when the devil, the dragon, saw he'd been thrown down, he pursued the woman. Why? Because he's, he's frustrated. He's, he's angry. And that woman, of course, is the church. Verse 17, the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. Brothers, sisters, that's you and me. The church in the New Testament dispensation the object of Satan's rage. And in his effort still to devour, destroy the woman, the church, what's he do? Chapter 13, he conjures up a beast from the sea. And that's a terrible creature. And I needn't spend any time detailing that. But at the end of verse 2, to that beast, the dragon, that Satan, gave his power and his throne and great authority. And what's the result? End of verse 3, the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. 
And isn't that the kind of thing that we see in our day and age? Well, our day and age, repeatedly in New Testament dispensation. Powers of darkness enveloping the church of Jesus Christ. Everyone is forced to worship the beast. Look at verse 7. It was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. Ouch! As a matter of fact, keep reading. Authority was given to the beast over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all the worship on earth who dwell on earth will worship it. Then you get a second beast, verse 11 and following, and it too receives so much power, so much influence. And this, brothers and sisters, let me be emphatic on this does not describe the thin slice of time just before Christ comes back as if all of this material is still future. What Jesus showed John 2,000 years ago, according to chapter 1, is what is to soon take place. This is what characterizes New Testament church history. And this is the reason why that rage of the dragon, the devil, and the assistance he gets from his two sidekicks, his two beasts of chapter 13. That is the reason why the church in the course of the centuries has repeatedly found itself under great stress. And with the great stress, persecution, discouragement. How are we going to survive? How do you endure? So, these three angels flying to every tribe and race and language and people, what are they seeing? that. The rage of the devil. The labors of his two assistants, the beasts. In other words, the church under stress. The church persecuted in some explicit or implicit fashion. So, if that's what the angels see, what would you think would be a fitting mandate for the angel's sender to give to the angels? What mandate should Christ give? And I'll go back for a second to chapter 12, verse 7. War arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. There was no longer, no longer any place them in heaven. 
So wouldn't we love for Jesus Christ the King to give a mandate to His angels to go fight again? If there was war in heaven, and the result of the war in heaven was the dragon was booted out, wouldn't we love that a mandate be given to the angels to fight on earth and the dragon be booted off the earth? I mean, if there's no place for the dragon in God's heaven, why should there be place for, God, for, for the dragon in God's earth? Wouldn't that be the right mandate? And we'd love that. But it's not the mandate received. That gets us into our second point. We've had what the angels see. Now, how do they respond? They respond, brothers, sisters, with, with words. Look at verse 6. This first angel has an eternal gospel to proclaim. And so verse 7, he said with a loud voice. And you get the same in verse 8. The second angel says. Verse 9, the third angel says with a loud voice. We say, oh, come on. Is it all you can do? Just talk? How about some action? Give relief to despondent church. Action. And so I want to draw to your attention, brothers and sisters, how powerful the Word is. Genesis chapter 1, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, let the earth bring forth, and the earth brought forth. Because the Word of God, Hebrews 4, is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, Yes? That word's effective. It's the word that gets things done. Might I remind you that John received his vision after Pentecost. The Holy Spirit's been poured forth. The Spirit who accomplishes, who gathers the Lord's church by the Word, the Word, the most powerful tool on earth, the Word, gets so much more done 
than swords or bullets or bombs. What's the first angel say? <clears throat> Verse 6 is to proclaim an eternal gospel. Now we understand what that means. That's the gospel we just read about in chapter 12. Yes, the woman brought forth her son, one who is to rule all the nation of the rod and iron, who is caught up to God and to his throne. This is the good news of Jesus Christ and his victory over sin over Satan. He's received the throne of God's right hand. That's the eternal gospel. And his angel has to proclaim it. He's preaching. He's causing the gospel to go to every nation, every tribe, every language, every people. Result? Everybody gets to hear the gospel. And for everybody, it's a call to repent and believe. We get that too. And we say, well, that's nice. Um, where's the evidence? that this angel's proclaiming the eternal gospel. Where's the evidence? I mean, this is nice to read, but turn on your TV. Follow your social media. What's happening in town? What's happening in the country? What's happening in this world? Do you hear the eternal gospel? And a little piece of us says, if that angel were actually to fly over Hamilton and proclaim that eternal gospel, surely the folk of town would repent and believe. Yeah? Wouldn't that catch people between the eyes? But it's not happening, no? And so I need to tell you, brothers, sisters, when the Lord speaks about these angels in the book of Revelation, we need to understand this is symbolic. Right? So much of Revelation is symbolic, real, but communicated via symbols. Does the Word go forth in today's world? And the answer is absolutely yes. Yes is the preaching of the gospel in the various pulpits of the nation. Yeah, that's true. There's that. There's the conversations happening around the kitchen table. Uh-huh. School, yes. How many good words are shared 
on social media, the gospel. It's happening. As a matter of fact, do you recall how many inhabitants of the world were tuned in to the funeral of Queen Elizabeth? Was the gospel, the eternal gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed in that funeral? The answer is yes. Brothers, sisters, more than half of the world's population had to listen. And you can say something similar, the coronation of the king. For that matter, <clears throat> how many concert halls around the world sing Handel's Messiah? The eternal gospel goes forth. Yes, it does. And that is the mighty working of your God. That is the Lord Jesus keeping the promise of this passage. This world is not in the dark. This world knows, this world hears the gospel. And I make a point of stressing this because we hear all about canceling, canceling Christian messages. But the Lord, my brothers, my sisters, wants us to know that the gospel will not be canceled, will not be silenced, no more than mankind is able to silence a thunderclap. Because Christ is exalted. then it's also true that people aren't taking the gospel to heart. Yeah, that's true too. And many fall away, and we get discouraged by that. And so, we need to notice <clears throat> that Christ Himself sends a second angel to follow the first. So, what's the second angel say? After the first proclaims the gospel, the second says, verse 8, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. And straight away that raises the question, well, what's, what's, what's Babylon? The Holy Spirit explains what we're meant to understand by Babylon. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. 
That's what it says in verse 8. And then we hear that sentence, drink the wine of the passion over sexual immorality, and our thoughts go straight away to the seventh commandment. And sexual licentiousness. But that's wrong, and I say that because time and time and time again in the Old Testament and the entire Bible, immorality, sexual immorality, is a reference to the first commandment because God's the bridegroom, the church is the bride. And where the church goes and serves other gods, that is sexual immorality. People turning away, disregarding the eternal gospel, are guilty of immorality because they're unfaithful to God their Creator. What's Babylon? Is every human effort to build a paradise, a utopia, without God? It's the alternative gospel. We don't need God to be happy. We can find happiness ourselves be it from money, be it from power, be it from you, fill in the blank. Anywhere except God. And again, that all makes sense. If you're going to reject the gospel, the proclamation of the first angel, well, then somehow you're going to you inevitably treasure what Babylon stands for. The alternative gospel, paradise, human-made, like Tower of Babel. And the second angel says, uh-uh, fallen, fallen. Notice the repetition. In other words, bold print, shouting it out. How can you miss this, people? Your efforts to build a Babylon, to build a utopia, to build a paradise, it's, it's, it's collapsed. And again, please notice, the angel doesn't say fallen will be Babylon, future tense. Present tense. It's today a reality. Right? And this is in the days when John heard this 2,000 years ago. That was reality in his day and remains reality in the course of New Testament dispensation. Babylon has fallen. Every effort to build a paradise on earth is fallen. That's easy said, isn't it? Where's the proof? In John's day, what was the effort of society to build a utopia? Well, that was the whole Pax Romana thing, yes? 
the Roman Empire, we can develop peace on earth through our dear old Roman institutions. What became of that? If Christ is triumphant and Satan booted from heaven, is a defeated Satan able to build a paradise on earth using Pax Romana? Check your history books. Did it work? And the answer is obvious. No, it didn't work. Rome fell. And you can find so many more examples in the course of history. French Revolution, 1789. Liberty, brotherhood, equality. What was it all about? Paradise on earth. What happened? We all know. Fallen. Fallen is the French Revolution. How about Marxism, Stalinism? Stalin tried to import Marxism into Russia and build a paradise. Did it work? Mao in China, did it work? Hitler's Nazism, did it work? You see, that second angel, on the tail of the first, if you don't accept the eternal gospel, you've got to put your hope in a Babylon of some form. But it's going to fall. They always do, always have, always will. And the fact that each falls is a call to listen the more carefully to the eternal gospel. That one won't fall. But people still refuse. Verse 9, and so a third angel follows. And he says with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image, you insist on aligning yourself with the dragon and his sidekicks, the beasts of chapter 13. You insist and you want the mark of the beast and you want to worship its image. Guess what's going to happen? Verse 10, he'll drink the wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he'll be tormented forever. You don't want the gospel? Eternal consequences. An awful restlessness will be yours eternally. Look at verse 11. The smoke of the torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest 
day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image. What is it that people want in our civilization is a sense of, of rest, of calm. Whether you get it from drugs, whether you get it from alcohol, wherever you want to get it, but we want peace. Rest, peace inside. And the Lord says, you insist on worshiping the defeated dragon, you're not going to find rest for your soul. So why are we told this? Our last point. Why are we told? We're today's people. I've never seen an angel, as far as I know. I've also never seen the wind. Have you? But we've all seen the effects of the wind. I've never seen an angel. But the Lord wants us to know, brothers, sisters, the effects of the angels are all around us. The eternal gospel goes forth. All human efforts to build a paradise on earth collapse. There's the proclamation of angels. It's happened for centuries. It's happening in our day and age. And that gives endurance, stamina to the saints to keep going. Discouraged by what's happening in today's North America? Western civilization? Brothers, sisters, don't. There's no need to be discouraged. This is God's world. If the fury of the dragon and his two sidekicks, the beast, is not able to stop the gospel from being proclaimed across the world, if not in this way, then in that way. If the power of the beast and the dragon is not able to sustain a human Babylon, but they all collapse, then tell me why. Why would the church, why would you be discouraged at what's happening in today's world? Your God has got this. And you need not be despondent. Keep the faith, my brothers. My sisters, hold on to the proclamation of the eternal gospel, that first angel. Keep your eyes open and see the collapse of every Babylon. 
And do not be surprised that today's iteration of Babylon, North American civilization, it's fallen. It's rotten at its core. Don't be surprised. The Lord's told you that. But carry on. Keep the faith. And suppose, suppose that in the collapse or somewhere along the line, you lose your life on account of the gospel. Is that a bad thing? I mean, chapter 13, verse 15, had already told us that the second beast might cause all who don't worship the image of the first beast to be slain. Mm. That whole idea of martyrdom, we say, Ah, no, please not, Lord. So, back to our passage, verse 13. I heard a voice from heaven saying, hang on, we've had three voices from angels, so indirectly from heaven, right? Now there's a voice directly from heaven. This is Christ Himself. And what's He say? John, write this down. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed. That word means happy. Happy. Eternally happy. Those who die in the Lord, those who are killed for the gospel or who die in the process of living in a hostile world in some way, shape, or form, as we all do, those who die in the Lord, blessed. Babylon, those who worship the beast, they have no rest, verse 11. But you, blessed forever. You doubt it? Deuteronomy chapter 18. The evidence of two or three witnesses, every word's confirmed. And so now the Holy Spirit adds, second part of verse 13, blessed indeed they may rest from their labors, for the deeds follow that. Two heavenly voices. No doubt about it. Those who die in the process of the fight of faith, be it from martyrdom, be it after years of struggle, happy, blessed in the presence of the Lord. Does this, brothers, sisters, encourage you? You see, that's the text. Here is the endurance of the saints. This is the perspective you need to keep on going, step 
by little step to the new Jerusalem, the eternal rest of God. So, discouraged? The church is ever optimistic. Canada, North America, this is God's world, and he's got it in his hands. Satan, he's just the big wannabe. Amen.